You are about to listen to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast Season 2, Episode 25. That makes this the Season 2 season finale. And that makes this the 50th episode of the Meet Mediocrity Podcast. Holy moly. Today, I have a very special guest. Today's guest is someone that I've known, admired, and loved my entire life. And my guest brings messages about their journey that will resonate with pretty much everyone. So, with that as an opening for our very special 50th episode... Let's get started. Hello, hello. This is your host, Mediocre Mitch, and welcome to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 2, Episode 25. That's right. The season two finale, which also represents the 50th episode of Meet Mediocrity. So, what's going on here? We have just completed, or we are completing today, season two of the Meet Mediocrity podcast. And um, the good news, the great news, is that all of the podcast platforms that exist out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and so many more, have all agreed that the Meet Mediocrity podcast will be renewed for season three. Um, it is now right before New Year's. It is uh, December 30th, 2020. We're all very thankful that 2020 is coming to an end. This is the last episode of 2020, the last episode of season two. Uh, I will be taking a couple of weeks off to organize season three. The great news, in addition to being renewed by all the podcast platforms, is that I've got a ton of really exciting guests already lined up for season three. I am pleasantly shocked and thrilled at the number of really cool guests that have already agreed to be on the Meet Mediocrity Podcast Season 3. So more to come there. But rather than continuing to discuss Season 2 or Season 3, let's discuss today. My guest today is my mother, Barbara Shuckman. And the reason she's a guest is, obviously, she's very special to me. So, And since it's my podcast, I can have whoever I want on it. Um, but actually. My mother really brings an amazing story to all of the listeners of this podcast. And it's a story about recognizing and and recognizing your your passion, recognizing what drives you and pursuing that passion, pursuing it in your life. And that's what my mother did and has done. She has pursued her passion for art into almost all of her life activities 
including her business and including kind of her overall approach to life. My mother's business, Handcrafted Miniatures by Barb, is really an amazing business where she makes handcrafted miniatures for collectible dollhouses. She's very famous in her business, in her industry. and But it's not just about her business. It's about recognizing her love of art at a young age and bringing that to her life and to her business and, and beyond. So without further delay, here is episode 50 of the Meet Mediocrity podcast with my mother, Barbara Shuckman. Hello, mother. Hello, sunny boy. <laughs> I can't believe it. The one person that I know for sure has listened to all previous 49 episodes of the Meet Mediocrity podcast, my mother is finally a guest on Meet Mediocrity. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you. So, um, mother, um, you are going to be the 50th episode of Meet Mediocrity. First of all, I didn't think I was going to keep doing it for 50 episodes, but here we are. Not bad, huh? Not, I, I'm not surprised. I knew once you started something, you would go, keep running with it. Yeah, I have a tendency to, to stick with things. Sometimes I stick with things even if I'm not very good at them, but um, I, stick things if, I stick with things if I really enjoy them. I, you always did. I think that that's a good quality. Well, that is a little bit of a um, not super rehearsed tee up to today's conversation because you have always, okay, so as a kid, uh, I had to explain to my friends that you were the artsy fartsy mother. <laughs> uh, you were always the one who was wearing an interesting hat or wearing an interesting jacket or was doing some sort of arts and crafts. You were that mother. And um, and then, of course, you were the mother who had a business that was arts and crafts based. So I, the, the theme of today's conversation is about pursuing, mm-hmm. uh, recognizing and then pursuing your passion. Um, and the earlier you can recognize and pursue, the more of a lifetime of benefits it can provide you. But before I get to the beginning, let's start at the punchline. Um, can you just explain? I already know, of course, I know, but all of our listeners don't really know about your business, Miniatures by Barb. What is it all about? And then we'll work back from there in terms of passion. Okay. I design and manufacture or really handcraft. I have handcrafters. Miniatures for dollhouse collectors. They're not, they're not playable things. They're things that people collect. Mm-hmm. Um, I sell wholesale to stores. And of course, now with the advent of website, I do sell retail too. And this is um, all made by hand. You're, you're, you're not manufacturing it in some factory. This is every, every piece someone buys was touched by you or your team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything's made here in this country and um, by handcrafted by 
women like myself. Let's be clear. When you say handcrafted here in this country, it's handcrafted here in the basement of your house. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, and my house is in this country. Yeah. And, 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 and let's be clear. I, I vividly remember as a either a teenage, young teenager or preteen when we were finishing the basement of the house and you and Pop said to me, Mitchell, we're building you a playroom. And you built this playroom and then like literally a month, weeks, like literally as soon as the basement was finished, you started your business and I got screwed out of a playroom. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And, and I, I started in a corner and then it grew and it grew. And now it's like, I think every single inch of this place has something to do with my business. Yeah, that's right. So um, we're going to come back to the business. I just wanted to set the stage that you, the artsy fartsy mother, um, have actually been attracted to and talented a talented artisan since you were a young girl, and and yeah. the fact that it played out into a business wasn't wasn't preordained. It was just something that happened over time. So let's start at the beginning. How did you, as a young girl, even begin to recognize your your love of art? How did it start? You know, it's almost hard to say, but everything I played with and everything I did sort of leaned that way. If somebody gave me a, a you know a, a toy where we used to like weave potholders, mm-hmm. to me it wasn't just something that we did. It was just I, I putting the colors together and doing it excited me. Wasn't aware that that's what was happening, but it did. Mm-hmm. I loved drawing. I would copy um, cartoons from the newspaper. I don't know why I did it. I just did it. And I remember when I would draw something, my mother saying to me, how did you do that? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> it's just something that I could do. And over time, it was it was obviously gradual. Things happened. Like when I was in school, I want to say early on, first, second grade, my teacher would say to me, Barbara, we need a poster for whatever we're doing. You're the good one. You can do it. And I would draw the poster. I thought nothing of it. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it grew like that through the years. But it was just something that I always did and always liked. And looking back, it's much more obvious to me how many things I did that were in that direction that I followed from early, early on. So, you know, people like your teacher recognized it. But, you know, being an artist that you've basically been an artist your entire life, especially back in the day, in your day, um, wasn't something that people said, go be an artist, Barbara. I mean, it wasn't that simple. (laughs) No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I mean, it was, it wasn't even an option. When I was young, I was, my father taught me from early on that I was going to go to college, but my options were to be a teacher to be a nurse or to be a dental hygienist. Those were my female options at that time. Female options, yep. Right. As it turned out, I was very fortunate. I had a teacher in high school who said to me, you know, Boston University is coming to interview art students. I think you should apply. And I'm going, I don't even have anything to show them. She says, just take the things you've done, mat them and bring them. Well, I didn't even know what she meant by mat. Mm-hmm. And I just slapped them on colored paper and brought this pile of stuff. 
they, they did accept me. And then when they accepted me, my father, who would not have accepted it as art, was so thrilled that I got into Boston University that he ignored the art part. <laughs> and that's how I, I started. And I was in the art school and loved every minute of it. Hated the regular courses, but loved every minute of my art courses. And of course, then I first first time in my life, I was thrown together with other artsy fartsy people. <laughs> I mean, everybody in my classes looked like me and thought like me. And that was a major enlightenment to me. So I want to I want to continue on the education thing, but let's just take a, a quick reversal to talk about your father, my grandfather. Um, obviously, there was an art, an art, an art streak that ran in your father because his business had an art element to it, right? I mean, he was in yes. the garment my, industry, but he, you know, was artistic. Man- I'm sorry, my father manufactured women's sportswear. Mm-hmm. And he definitely took the role. He had a partner, but he took the role of designer. He didn't actually sit down and draw and design things. Um, he did a, a, an inexpensive line of, of um, women's sportswear. And what he would do is he would go to the high-end stores, mm-hmm. walk around, see what was doing, and he would find, figure out a way to make it in a less expensive way, but keep the look. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what he, I don't think he had any idea that that was, you know, that was art, it could be, but he had an eye for it. it you know, Absolutely. not, not everyone can do that. I mean, he obviously had an eye for it. He didn't even probably attribute that skill to being, having an artistic eye. He just no, did what he, he did. Thought, he thought he was stealing other people's ideas, but he right. really wasn't. He was, he was embellishing on them. Right. He was, so, so here's a man who had, you know, a bit of the artistic gene in him. He brought it to his business. You probably inherited at least some of those genes. Um, you went to art school, but you didn't finish art school as an artist, because if I remember correctly, when I was a little kid, when I was born, you were a teacher. So what happened? Oh, I was, what happened was I got engaged to your father. <laughs> and he was he was going to school here on Long Island, and I did not want to be separated from him. So I transferred to Hofstra where he was going, mm-hmm. and they did not have art courses. So I um, the the uh, the option that they had that was appealing to me at all was education was teaching. Mm-hmm. So I got my degree in teaching, and it wasn't until I had already started my business many years later that I made the connection that I probably could have put the two together. And been an art teacher, art teacher yep. but I had not been even, uh, it just never was on my radar screen. I didn't even realize that that was an option. And at that point, my business was running like crazy. And I was not, I always said I had a tiger by the tail and I wasn't going to let it go. I loved what I was doing. Well, isn't this interesting that even back then, even before I was born and I'm not that young myself, even before <laughs> I, to you, I'm young. Um, I was going to say you better be young. Cause I'm young. <laughs> I, but, but even before I was born, it was boys, you know, screwing up girls, lives and ambitions. He pulled you out of art school just cause you wanted to be near your boyfriend and lo and behold, you know, you went into, <laughs> went into teaching. So um, now you didn't graduate from college, become a teacher, and then create your business, you 
pursued art in a lot of different forms, right. kind of as an outlet. So tell me a little bit about your journey with art after graduating school, but before you started your business. After I graduated school, I taught for several years until mm-hmm. I became pregnant with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, without, I used art in the classroom with almost everything because it was the easiest way for me and the most enjoyable way for me right. to communicate with the, with the, with the students. Of course. Um, and even stood me in good stead several years later when your father was in Vietnam and I, w- I substitute teach, taught. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you get there and you're in a classroom with the kids that you don't even know where they are in their stu- studies. Right. And I was always able to gain their attention by doing something worth of art. I would draw on the blackboard. I would make them draw. And it made being a substitute teacher in a strange situation in a strange school much easier. Well, let's face it. Substitute teachers are usually a reason to not pay attention. I don't know if you remember, but in high school, substitute teachers were a reason for me to cut class and then wreck up my car while I was cutting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I remember. You know, I've <laughs> never told I never I told that driving, story. Yeah, driving along the street, and I see this accident, and I go, "Oh, those people look like they need help." There's a young man, and there's these older people, and they probably don't even know what to do. And I walk over to see that the older couple were fine, and I go over to the other car, and I look in the window, and there's my son, <laughs> who was supposed to be in school. Yep. So what happened was, I was a, I had a substitute teacher. I was a senior in high school. I said, I don't need to be sitting here with a substitute teacher. I could go home, make myself some pancakes, watch a little TV and go back to school. On my way back to school, I wrecked my car. Um, <laughs> so but what, what the point of the story, which was that was a little diversion. The point of the story is that substitute teachers have a difficult time gaining respect. And I would imagine doing an arts-based program and showing that you can do something that that probably fascinated people, whether it was drawing something or what have you, right. probably got the kids' attention pretty quickly. Yes. And, they, were, and they weren't them. seniors in high school that could jump in their car and, and leave. No, I, I was in elementary education, so it usually turned out to be like a fourth and fifth grade class, and those kids are not easy either. No, they've got different challenges. They're not, they're not cutting class and jumping in their cars, but they've got right. different challenges. Right. So... But mom, you didn't just um, you didn't just go oh. from teaching to your business. Like I remember, I mean, I just I'm thinking back to to our house when I was a kid, and there was always something being knitted, some some beads being put together, some some ceramics being put being made. You were always doing something macrame like all of this stuff i what the hell is she doing now <laughs> so when, and that was that was before your business because your business started I, like i said earlier i was in my early teens so yeah. um there were quite a few years there where you were just doing art related stuff as an outlet for yourself Yes, when when da- when your father came home from Vietnam, we pretty decided that I would stay home with you, mm-hmm. and then when your sister was born, you know, continue staying home. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't being my my creativity, I guess, wasn't being fulfilled after I did everything that I wanted to do in the house, like I made curtains and I made this, and you know, <laughs> all that was done. And I found myself taking courses in every single craft that was available to me. 
and I would go take, let, let, let's say macrame, and I would take a course in macrame. I'd learn how to do the dots, what the materials were. And by the third lesson, I was better than the teacher. <laughs> so I would stop going to the class, but I would start making those things around the house. The problem for me at that time was after I had made as much macrame as you could have in your house, because you certainly can't have a whole house made of macrame, and you give it to the gift as this person and this person, what do I do with it? Right. So I was off on to the next hobby. Right. Which was, so be which was beaded flowers. Beaded flowers. <laughs> and um, so that's how I got to learn everything, which stood me in very good stead when I ended up starting my business. Right. Which would you like me to tell you how, tell everybody else how it started? That's exactly where we're going. One day, a friend of mine said, you want to come with me to a friend's house. She has a dollhouse you have to see. And I'm going, an adult has a dollhouse? This is crazy. <laughs> and we go, and it was the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. I mean, the house was lovely, and the, all these rooms had all this little stuff in it. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, I can make little macrame curtains for each one of these windows. I can make plant hangers to hang in the thing. I could make little beaded flowers. All of my crafts started to flow through my head that I could make small into this dollhouse. So when I came home, I said to your father, I want a dollhouse. So my birthday came and he surprised me with a dollhouse. I remember. I remember when he got you that dollhouse. That was like a big deal. It was. And it was huge. But it was raw. It, was, it wasn't like one of your picturing or all no, painted. unfinished wood. Dollhouse. It was completely unfinished. But I had to do everything which was a very good learning point for me because I didn't even know anything about scale. Dollhouses are made in the scale of one inch to the foot. Anything that's one inch, in, that's a foot in real life would be one inch in dollhouse okay, life. Okay, so one twelve. So that it, it, you, can't ha you can't mix the scales or it doesn't look right. Right. But I, I didn't know that at the beginning. So I started making my stuff. And first of all, surprised me, one day I said to myself, you know, I think I have some little stuff. And I go in the closet and there I have a box full of little miniature things that I had collected over the years and didn't even re realize I'd been collecting. Oh, wow. So I, put, I put them in the house and came to realize that I was not interested in the furniture and the, the, the wooden kind of things, the structural kind right. of things. I really was interested in all the accessories. I, I remember because everyone always assumed that you made furniture and, furniture, and right. you didn't make the furniture. No. And um, I went to a dollhouse store and bought the furniture for my dollhouse. But I noticed in the store that all of the other things that were sitting in her little cabinets were handmade or certainly things I could make. Right. And one, one day I said to her, you know, I can make almost anything that you have here. Is there anything you would like me to make? And she said to me, how about some needlepoint pillows? I said, oh, I can do needlepoint. She said, I'd like some for Hanukkah and Christmas. Okay. I went home. I made these little pillows. I mean, under an inch square. Right. And I bring them back and she loves them and says, how much? I had no <laughs> idea. I said a dollar because the thing was that small. I didn't know any better. And she says to me, great. I love it. I want a dozen of each. Went home, made a dozen of each, brought them back. And she says, can you do another dozen of each? And I'm saying, not for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
she started to suggest things like, can you make this for me? Can you make that for me? And I just went home and I made them. But you, but let's be clear. You didn't just make them like uh, you had an eye for making stuff out of stuff. They would say, I want a pencil for a desk and you managed to turn a uh, toothpick into a pencil. Like, you, right. like, you, I, I, like it wasn't just make me needlepoint pillows, which is Correct. obvious. It was, it was, you create crazy stuff, you know, out of crazy stuff. Right. Yes. Now one day she said to me, can you make me a talus, which is a Jewish prayer shawl yep. and a yarmulke, which is the cap that yep. Jewish men wear. I said to myself, number one, who's buying this stuff and what is she talking about? Right. And then I went home and said, well, how am I going to do this? And I don't know how these things pop into my head, but I said, gee, I can make this talus out of ribbon. There's ribbon that's just the right width and just the right fabric. And it will even fray at the end, which yep. it, it needs. Need the, the, yep. And I made, I made it and I brought it back. And that's where my business finally kicked in when I said to her, she asked me how much I gave her a price. And I said, but this took me a week to design. Mm -hmm. And she handed me 10 extra dollars, which of course is laughable. But at right. the time I, I was very yeah. excited and it just took off from there. It, it was, um, I kept my ears open. I met people. I, I mean, it was, it was something I was loving. I was loving every minute of it. And if you remember, I mean, our home life went into miniature mode. I mean, wherever room you went into, there were supplies and things and our meals were thrown on the table or brought in. And it just, yeah, I was so you, you were known, you were known, mom, you were known for your artwork, not for your cooking. Just to be clear, for sure, so everyone knows, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I'll never forget. I'll, the same today, still today. <laughs> I'll just, I'll never forget when you came home with like literally a box full of rubber gloves. I'm like, what do we need all these rubber gloves for? You're like bathing caps. Like, what are you talking? <laughs> and next thing I know, you're cutting the, the tips off of every finger to create bath miniature bathing caps. Like, <clears throat> you always you always manage to see a miniature a miniature product in an everyday household product. It's really right. quite amazing. And, and I tell you the truth, I still do today, though the miniature field has matured a lot since then. I came in really in its infancy. Um, and today uh, the items are expected to be at a much higher quality, but I, I, I still manage to find things that work for what I need them to work for. Um it's it, it, but yet it still amazes me. There must be something about my artistic style that I can't explain. I have things that I have made, and I'm in business now 43 years. <laughs> there are items that I've been making since the beginning, and I'm still selling the same item, and it's made the same way. And sometimes I look at it and I say, this really looks a little immature it hasn't yep. matured but there must be something about my style i guess it's almost caricaturish mm -hmm. that is has a charm to it because i'm still selling them and some items i must have sold thousands and thousands and thousands of them because the stores you know they order them a dozen at a time and they just keep well and, and so so and, and and let's face it mom you know in the world of handcrafted miniatures you're you know, which is by the way, not just a small world because it's miniatures. It's a small world because it's not a huge industry. Right, but in the, but in that industry, 
you're pretty famous. <laughs> you know, we, 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 I, I've seen all of the, the articles and all of the clippings and, um, you know, let's face it when it comes to things like the holiday stuff, I mean, it started with Judaica, but you've got, um, you know, for every Jewish holiday, but you also have for every Christian holiday, you make miniatures and people like to this day are coming to you around, you know, couple months before the holiday season saying, I need Christmas plates. I need menorahs. I need Easter things. I need Passover things. It's really unbelievable. It, really, it, it, it is very amazing. I, I will never forget one year I got a call from a, a real regular newspaper because I, I've, many of my articles have been in miniature publications, right, right. but this was a general newspaper. And they said, we would like a, an interesting article for Hanukkah and Christmas for this coming year. Can we write about you? And it was like, me? <laughs> but they did. They wrote a lovely article about me and my and the miniatures. And of course, it was good for me. It was good for the whole miniature industry. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really amazing. So let's fast forward. Um, we we are all, all human beings on the planet Earth have been uh, struggling in, in 2020. You, mother, are the last episode of Meet Mediocrity in 2020. Uh, hopefully I, I, I'm glad I, you said of mediocrity and not of life. <laughs> no, 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 no. Of 2020. Um, I'm optimistic that we will have a, a better, uh, global landscape in 2021, but, um, oh, we will. the miniature industry, the miniature business was actually, you know, you and I talk all the time was slowing down. Uh, yep. you, you, you were, you actually had a number of calls with me before COVID, you know, in 2018, 2019 saying, um, this business is dying out. You know, I've got very few orders. I go to, uh, trade shows and they're very, there are much fewer people there. Um, and then the pandemic hits and everyone, everyone is miserable except for people buying miniatures because that's managed to ramp up and keep you very busy. So tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, business was being, was starting to slow down slightly before COVID hit. When COVID hit, don't forget all the stores had to shut down. So the um, it, the whole industry changed to online. Mm -hmm. And so I be at the beginning, it was slow. It took a, it was a, several months before it picked up. But because this is what I do and what I love to do, I took the opportunity to revamp my website to upset to, to to clean it up get rid of the things that didn't need to be there to design some new items and to you know do the things that you never have time to do when you're doing business and then all of a sudden one day i get a huge pages and pages from my rep from my distributor a huge order going, a huge order an, an order and i'm yeah. saying what what went on here so I start to fill the order because I've got all this stock that I've been preparing during the few months when there was no business. And the next day, another one comes, same size. And I'm saying, what's going on? Then when the next day, a third one came, I called him up and I said to him, I, I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> I don't think I could do this all at once. Give me some priorities and what's happening. Mm -hmm. And he said, the stores are just 
you know, I guess they they've they must have gotten their websites going up where some of them may have been doing business in the back through the back door. We don't know, but they, they were getting big orders. And then all of a sudden my store started to order directly from me too. So I'm sitting there with the distributors' orders and the store's orders, and we have been busy all the way through Christmas. And now is I don't know what will happen after Christmas. Normally from now till I would say the end of January, our business is really very slow, but then trade shows start, which probably will not happen this year. But um, it's been, in many, many ways, the fact that I was able to follow my dream. I mean, I can't say a dream because I had no, it wasn't even on my radar, but my passion has stood me in good stead for many, many times. Um, At times when I broke my shoulder, and I thought that I was going to be out of, what am I going to do for this you know, time until it heals? I somehow managed to come down to my studio and, and make miniatures or whatever needed to be done. It was something that it kept my mind going. And that's the same thing that happened with COVID. Mm-hmm. I, it keeps me busy. It keeps me something to do. Well, and you, and, mean, pa- you know, and you and Pop are doing what most older people are doing. You're staying at home. You're being safe. Yeah. And frankly, miniatures is, is quite the perfect COVID hobby because people do it in their homes um and people yeah, you know it's, it's a stay at, it's a stay-at-home hobby so um it, it serves everyone well people are, are pursuing their stay-at-home hobby and you're able to stay at home and help them fulfill it yes it's it's i've been very very fortunate it's been it's been a wonderful ride um many people say to what well, i always thought the funniest thing was when people over the years people would say to me do you still do that miniature stuff <laughs> and I'm going. You never asked my husband if he's still doing the accounting stuff. Yeah. So, so in in, in many ways, the stereotype still persists, right? Oh, you, you, can't, you can't you can't be an artist, really. And I've and I've been doing it successfully for 43 years, and hope to do it as long as I can possibly think and use my hands. Um, I absolutely enjoy it. Many people ask me why I'm not retired, and it's like. This Why is, would this, I? Yeah, you you only you only retire from things you don't love to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's what I do. I what, what what would I? You know what? I'd be doing the same thing anyway. I may not be miniatures, but I'd be back to all my hobbies and crafts. So what's the difference? So this so this is the perfect segue to where I was going to wrap up. So mom, um, the the moral of the story, if it would not that we're always looking for morals, but the moral of the story here is that if you can recognize a in your personal skill, your personal passion, and you don't ignore it. You open your mind up to allowing it to fulfill your life. It doesn't have to be a business, but it can be such a good outlet, a physical outlet, a mental outlet, something that can serve you well in hard times, in good times. You know, so mom, I think, you know, I wanted to give you a chance to think back to your journey and for people out there who have things that they just love or things that they're naturally good at and they're just not sure what to do with it and they're not sure whether to quote unquote waste time on it, like what would your advice be? Do it. Um, it doesn't have to be a business. As I said to you, if 
I would be doing something like this anyway, because that's that's so much what I want to do. And the, my, my creative forces are there. If it hadn't been a business, it would have been a hobby, maybe not in, in miniatures, but some kind of creation, some kind of crafting, some kind of creating things would have been something I would f- follow to do. Um, it, it shouldn't be your whole life. I mean, there are many other there. I have a very full life and a lot of many other things I do. Yes, you do. Um, but it's a, it, I think it's very important. I think that that makes you a rounded person. It fulfills a need in us that I think many of us don't know we have until you see the thing and go, oh, I really enjoy that. And that's that's the key. I, I think I, I I don't know what art was doing for me when I was young, but there was something very satisfying when I drew or created something. You know, I think what you, I, I, I'm as you were just describing that, what ran, ran through my head is your passion is your fuel and it can fuel the rest of your life. And I, I, you know, I think about, you know, myself, I think about so many people, I think about, we have, we have an uncle who died years ago with, with, with dozens and dozens of canvases in his garage of paintings and everyone would sit there and say, eh, you're a mediocre artist. But, uh, but honestly, he loved it. It was the fuel that fueled his life. And I don't think he made a penny selling art, but it was an outlet. It was a mental outlet. It was, it was a passion that fueled his life. And I think that's the message here. I think we also need to, because we've been so emphasizing on art, that the passion does not have to be art or creative. No, passion, no, I mean, it could be you anything. You can have a passion for, um, I can't, for, uh, I'm trying to, no, not coming up well, with something. Well, it, but, but think about it. There, there are people who have passions for, um, whether it's whether it's running or swimming or people who play golf and, and there are people who say why do you play golf you're chasing a white ball around it's a waste of time um right it could be reading it could be anything it could be photography it could be so many things but the thing is people tend to poo-poo it especially yeah. if you know especially if it doesn't it become your primary source of income like that. correct and 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 honestly, not everyone can can turn their their passion into their career. But everyone, everyone can use their passion to fuel their life and to fuel the other necessities. And yep. to me, that's the message. I agree with you. I think that that's very important to find something. And I think parents can do that for children early on. Mm-hmm. Expose them to many things until they find the thing that they love. We were very um, fortunate with your 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 oldest niece. Mm-hmm. Um, she they gave her a tennis lesson just because her mother used to play tennis. Yep, she loves it. We couldn't have known that. Whether she will follow it throughout her life, no, maybe not. We don't know, but she knows what it is to have a passion, and she will find something. That will be her passion. And I think maybe that's the lesson. Be open to the things and experiences in life that make you happy, that fuel you. It's all about happiness. Um, Mom, we did it. We recorded a podcast together. I'm super happy. Holy smokes. 
I never <laughs> talk so much. <laughs> Ma- Mom, you're actually you're actually a good guest. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. I was nervous that I wouldn't be. I didn't want you to be disappointed. I would have deleted it or something. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for joining us on our 50th episode. My pleasure. Have a very have a very happy and healthy and socially distant New Year's, although I'm sure I'll speak to you before then. Thank you. Thank you. You too. And um, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Okay. Love, hear it. I love, love you. you sweetie. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. Episode 50, the season two finale is in the books. It's a wrap. You know, season two has really been amazing. We've had a number of really interesting guests, uh, guests who've lost a lot of weight, guests who've done amazing things, uh, guests who've got interesting perspectives on the world, on how to improve yourself, on how to pursue your passions, on how to create businesses. So many guests. In fact, we've had a ton of listens to the Meet Mediocrity podcast. The Beat Mediocrity podcast has had over 5,000 downloads. Um, the Meet Mediocrity podcast has been listened to in over 30 countries. The Meet Mediocrity podcast has been listened to in over 40 states in the United States. Um, it's really quite amazing. At least it's amazing to me. Um, so a lot of highlights for season two. A lot to look forward to in season three. And, and really, once again, thank you to my mother for being my 50th episode guest, for telling us her story, for telling us a story that can inspire all of us to pursue our passions, whether you start your own business or just build it into your life because your passion is your fuel and your fuel is what keeps you going day to day in a positive, meaningful way. So with that, let me just remind everyone to A, have an incredibly happy New Year's, and let's all say good riddance. Look, 2020 for the most part was a terrible year, but we all had, I hope, we all had a few positive glimmers. Of course, we I know everyone on this who's listening to this did, because you're listening to the Mediocrity Podcast, so if you had no other glimmers in your life, you at least had that as a glimmer. Um, but yes, let's say goodbye to 2020. Let's make 2021 even better. And um, while I'm getting season three ready to roll, which will be a few weeks from now, I would ask that you do a couple things. First of all, if you haven't listened to all 50 episodes, please go back and listen to all of the Meet Mediocrity episodes. Please also tell your friends uh, about Meet Mediocrity and how they can enjoy the podcast. And please, continue to stay safe, continue to be healthy, continue to smile, and be well. Take care, everyone.